WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Upfront program for this uh, Friday. I'm Roger Bouchard. I'm here on a Monday through Friday basis uh, doing various things, including hosting the Upfront program. Friday, our program is uh, broken down into three parts. We'll be uh, talking with um, real estate um, professional, Mr. Robert Martin from Crossroads Real Estate Group in a few seconds. And then uh, we'll... um, We'll invite the uh, chairman of the school committee and superintendent to give us a school update. In the news this morning, uh, they're in the building. Uh, you probably heard one of the news reports uh, where somebody is saying um, out there in Virginia, remote learning, massive failure. Well, we're doing a lot of remote learning here in Woonsocket. We'll find out whether uh, the uh, superintendent and school committee chair feel uh, that way about how it's going here and other matters when we uh, get the school department update. And the third segment of the program will be about uh, open line conversation and uh, how we uh, are going to um, see what our listeners have to say about some of the subjects out there. So let's uh, get Mr. Bob Martin on our live line, make sure we got a good connection with him. Hi, Bob. How are you doing today? Good, Roger, and yourself. Good, good. Nice to hear from you. And uh, we're ready to get underway with our real estate question of the week. And uh, here we go. It says here, I am under contract to purchase a house. When the attorney did the title search, he discovered that the person living in the house, not the present owner, has something called a life estate. My attorney says that this could be a problem. What's this all about? And do you hear about, quote-unquote, life estate much in your uh, in your practice as a professional real estate person? Yeah, you answer to your question, your first question, yes, it's not, it's not unusual, let's put it that way. So the scenario that's probably been set here, or a typical one, whether it's this or not, is, um, you know, a couple have owned the home for forever. One of the spouses passes away. The remaining spouse wants to live in the house. However, they want to do some estate planning, thereby saying, okay, let me take the house out of my name in the event that in a few years I may go to a nursing home and whatnot. I want to protect and be able to pass on what I've got, which is, you know, typical. And, you know, what you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about with that. So uh, that is not unusual. However, um, they'll say that person, whether it be a he or she, says, but I'm going to deed this house to you, however... I want to make sure that I can remain in this property for as long as I want to, or if I choose to, up to my debt. So I'm going to deed the house to my three children or whomever, and uh, could be an attorney uh, that is handling the estate. But I'm going to reserve for myself what we call a life estate, which says I have the right to remain here for the rest of my life at no consideration, right? Or $500 a month or whatever that those terms are set. So the person actually getting the house out protects themselves and says, you know, in the event that, you know, the three of you guys or two or whatever or the people that are my benefactors, so to speak, say, hey, mom, dad, you know, it's dangerous to live in this house by yourself. I really think you should go to assisted living. And, and 
if if they just deeded the house out, period, then the people handling the estate would say, well, we're going to sell the house because it's in our names, and I, you know we're going to do the best we can by you, but you know it, it's for your own good. Well, when you retain a life estate, um, and I'll just use a mom as an example, it could be guy, but and say, well, that's fine. You can sell this house all you want, but you can't make me move out. And in this particular case, um, uh, it was already sold once, and or it was deeded, and I'm guessing it was deeded to the people that signed the contract with this particular buyer, and it, it most probably would be a relative that the the existing homeowner uh, or the, the person living in the house, you know, trust, and they probably want to do the right thing for that person, but if that person can now say, well, you can sell the house if you want, but I'm not moving out, and I'm not paying rent, and I don't have to move, and I don't have to pay any rent. Um, so it has to be dealt with because I'm assuming this person that wants to buy would like to move in, <laughs> or um, they certainly wouldn't buy it as an investment and not be able to reap any income. So do we see it, um, you know, a lot? No, but we run into this probably a half a dozen times a year. Usually it's with the consent of the person living in the property. But let's say in this particular case, and it very well may be with the consent of that person, but part of the, the title search revealed it. it. It's recorded. And in order for the buyer to be able to take possession of the property, that person with a life estate has to sign off. Of course, it would also pass it when that person dies. But if, if they're still living, they legally, it's almost like discharging a mortgage. They have to say, I am relinquishing my life estate in this property and, you know, allowing the sale to go through. So, yeah, could it be a problem? Yes. Is it usually a problem? No. Uh, because normally speaking, unless it's got adversarial or, or say the person with the life estate is lost. Um, well, they're unwilling to move. Uh, they say, no, I'm going to die in this house. Um, and it, and the, the people that are responsible for that person say, gee, you know, that's not the right way to go. Uh, but most of the time, the house is put for sale and it's sold with the consent of the person having a life estate. And then if that's the case, it's no more than that person signing off on her or his life estate in the product. All right. Hey, Bob, before you leave, one quick question. I like to um, ask a kind of a question that um, is like a snapshot of things. Here it is, uh, the end of January. So I'm looking back to November 1st now to January uh, 29th, uh, today's date. It's a three-month period. Has the local real estate market changed at all in three months or same thing, snapshot, just like in November? Same thing. Um, if anything, there are fewer homes available. Um, we're down to about a 1.4, 1.7 supply uh, of absorption, which means, you know, I've mentioned oftentimes six months is normal, where a buyer and seller can feel they can negotiate it on blank. So it's definitely a seller's market. Um, if anything, if sales have, have slowed a little, it's only because there hasn't been a lot to sell, but the demand... Um, you know, for for homes are still there. I mean, the comments I'm getting from, you know, my agents uh, are, is that, you know, I had one yesterday that, you know, I've shown at least 15 houses to this person. Uh, they put four or five offers in, each one over asking, and we didn't get any of them. Said someone had offered more money than that. So, no, the market is still very, very hot. Um, 
you know, because of the holidays and whatnot, um, you know, around Christmas it always slows a little bit. But no, the there are a plethora of buyers and a dearth of listings. Can I um, just revisit what I think you just said? Uh, you're saying that there was one one buyer out there that uh, was having trouble. <laughs> they, were, they were qualified to buy, but they were having trouble buying because they they uh, just couldn't get their offer accepted because other maybe other people were making higher offers. Is that what you were suggesting? It's happening every day. It's it's more the norm than the exception, Roger. And there's a there's a a form that's been developed over time that that um, we occasionally use, and it's called an escalator clause. So the house is on the market for let's say two hundred thousand. The people offer two ten, and they say, however, if in fact someone offers more than two ten, I've got this form here that I'm including with my offer that says it's called an escalator clause. I am willing to pay a thousand dollars more than any other higher offer up to a maximum of let's say 230 so what happens is they take their shot at this price if someone comes in higher they said automatically i'm going to outbid them by a thousand up to a maximum that i'm putting in that is not unusual at this point um and you know i don't want to say the complaints but the comments you know everywhere is that um you know uh let's put it this way uh, and I, I, I'm president of NLS, and I reported it, and it was an unusual transaction. But there's a house that went on the market over the weekend for 165000 in Gloucester. It wasn't much of a house, but it was on about five acres of land. One of my agents went. He actually took photos and sent it to me. The police had to come because it was a traffic jam. For a $165,000 piece of property. Yeah. I mean, people were lined up down the road. <laughs> the vehicles were there. Uh, hopefully they kept social distancing, but two of my agents actually had buyers. They waited over an hour just to get into the house. All right. Not to prolong the point, Bob, here, yeah. but uh, you've been in real estate uh, uh, 35 years. Can we say that? Yeah, plus a few. Yeah. Right. Have you ever seen this happen before to this intensity, or is this really something phenomenal in your real estate career of uh, shortages of property and and people uh, wanting to buy and having trouble buying? We, well, yes, it, it, it's gotten to the, the point where it's, uh, it's beyond anything that I remember. Yeah, there have been times where, you know, it's been a, a seller's market. But uh, not fuel to the extent, in my memory, that it is today. And I think that has to do with, um, in, in all my 30-some, 35, 38 years, I have never encountered, un- until this recent year or two, rates so low on mortgages. And people are looking to seize that opportunity that, you know, it, it's, it's <laughs> I never, ever expected to be able to, in my lifetime, see a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage that was below 3%. I mean, that is, um, you know, uh, something that was, I don't think anyone would have ever seen, and I think when rates go back up, uh, given my age, I don't think I'm going to see it come back down that much, but right now, it's it's they're hanging in pretty steady, and I think that's fueling um, more than it's ever been in the past. Well, we've had the seller's market before and whatnot, you know, rates were still somewhat normal, okay? They might have been six, six and a half, you know, five and three quarters. But to be able to get a 30-year fixed, 
people are saying this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. The other thing it does is by having that rate so low, it allows more people to qualify. Uh, when the rate is 6% as opposed to 3%, when you're borrowing $200,000, you know, the, the cost, the monthly payment is higher, which means the higher the payment, the fewer people that, that, that qualify. So you have an inordinate amount of people qualified because of the exceptionally low rates. Uh, and if you're maintaining your job through this COVID and put that on top of, and if that's not really the only thing driving it, but for first-time home buyers, Rhode Island Housing is offering $10,000 for down payment to first-time home buyers, where there's no interest on it. It just remains there, and you pay it off whenever you sell the house in 20 years. Um, there's, there are a lot of, of those opportunities. So when a home comes on the market that's properly priced in an area that, let's say, has you know has had quite a bit of turnover, it is it is not unusual. It is more the case. It's more the it's it's more the norm that the house will sell over the asking price within three four days. Okay. All right. I think you've made you've painted the picture for us. An extraordinary marketplace out there in real estate. Thank you, Bob, for uh, for visiting with us today. Always a pleasure. Okay, Rod. Okay. Bye bye. Bob Martin, Crossroads Real Estate Group. Extraordinary times, not only for COVID-19 and for politics, but um, in business, the real estate business, real estate profession, unbelievable uh, set of circumstances. Okay, is uh, remote learning a massive failure? Are people losing their patience um, on keeping schools um the way that they are, some partially open, some normally. And we'll, we'll chat locally with the people who um, are on the ground floor of that, uh, the superintendent of schools and the school committee chairman, in just a few moments here on Upfront. Right now, I'm going to tell you that Chan's is open for dine-in. That's the way we like to do it. We like to sit right in a far corner of the restaurant when we go in there. And if that booth is available, that's where we sit that way we get a scan of the whole place. <laughs> and we enjoy some of the great, uh, some of the great food. Right now, um, Chan's not only has dine-in, but they have drive-through and they have delivery. A couple of their takeout specials, um, and you can see them right on the front page of the one socket called today, is uh, with a $40 purchase of food on takeout or more. You get your free uh, choice of uh, an egg roll for free or a spring roll or a crab rangoon or scallion pancake. Not a bad deal. And it's uh, on a takeout special at Chan's. And also Friday and Saturday nights we have a karaoke party with WRIK. And also um, uh, tomorrow night uh, I believe Greg Abadi will be performing. Uh, and uh, there's uh, a chance for you to see Greg and his uh, sextet. I think there are six members of his uh, of his group. You'll find Chance at 267 Main Street in Woonsocket. And um, we also have Mai Tai and Scorpion Bowls to go. Here's the number to call for uh, takeout, 765-1900. Or to make a reservation to see Greg Abadi. And that's Chans of Woonsocket, and you'll find them at uh, 267 Main Street. And tell them that uh, not Larry sent you. 
Tell them that Roger sent you. If you need a plumber, I hope you'll consider Ray Dion, Dion's Plumbing Systems. From Cumberland, serving the greater Woonsocket area, we do residential and commercial work. We work on kitchens and bathrooms, heating systems, drain cleaning. We're licensed, we're insured. Over 30 years experience from Ray Dion, you can expect clean, neat, dependable, and courteous work. So when the pipes burst, think of Dion's Plumbing first. The number to call is 334-6060. Dion's Dion's Plumbing Systems. We do bathrooms, kitchens, heat and hot water systems, and all kinds of special work as it relates to plumbing. Dion's Plumbing Systems. Think of us. We'll do it right for you. There's a church nearby where members are kind and friendly. May we invite you to attend services at the Cumberland Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Services are now available on Facebook or Skype on the Internet. Call 658-2748 for information on seeing us online. It's the church where you can hear the gospel, believe in Christ, repent, confess, and be baptized. Join us this week for our prayer and Bible study, Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Sunday services at 1 p.m. Our sermons are understandable to grow you in faith and available online. Again, we are the Cumberland Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, inviting you on your journey of salvation, with services now available on Facebook and Skype. Services conducted by Pastor Marcus Warren. All right, and uh, talking about Cumberland, Chucky's Ice Cream of Cumberland ice cream turns into Chucky's Fish and Chips on Fridays. Hey, if you love fish and chips and if you love clam cakes and chowder, you'll want to order starting at 11 o'clock this morning from Chucky's in Cumberland at 425-8023. Call ahead and then pick up your order of freshly made fish and chips or clam cakes and chowder or both from Chucky's and that's every Friday from 11 until 7. Chuck Morrow, the owner prepares for this all week long for this busy Friday, and he sells a lot of clam cakes and chowder, and he sells a lot of fish and chips. So, if you uh, would enjoy some uh, great fish and chips, give Chucky's a call at 425-8023. And remember, we do two things on Fridays. Fish and chips, clam cakes and chowder, Chuckies. Let's get back to the Upfront program. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, back to the panel, and uh, it's time for our uh, update uh, going on in the uh, Woonsocket School Department. And we do that uh, by uh, having in studio with us the chairman of the Woonsocket School Committee, Mr. Paul Boyer, and the uh, superintendent of schools for the city of Woonsocket, Dr. Patrick McGee. They're both here. And uh, we're going to um, begin uh, with the easy question, um, maybe uh, just an update on the week that was in Woonsocket Schools. Before we get to um, uh, a real, uh, I think, a tough question um, in the, I don't know if you heard the news uh, well, when uh, it was playing, but you were sitting down uh, in, the, uh, in the green room. We have a very beautiful room for receiving people. Uh, did you enjoy your green, co- Roger. Yeah. Did you enjoy your coffee and your, I, your I, muffins I, out there? Oh, incredible. Yeah. And, uh, Great. Well, in that, um, in that setting, the national news that we ran from the USA Radio Network said that remote learning is a massive failure. So I'm going to ask you guys. About uh, about that, uh, this was uh, something that was said in a national setting, so we'll ask you that um, uh, locally. But first of all, the week that was when Socket School Department, let's begin with Patrick McGee, Superintendent of Schools. What happened this week? Well, good morning, Roger. Um, so this week we uh, returned our ninth graders at Woonsocket High School to um, 
the hybrid model. They returned on Tuesday. Um, my understanding is we had about 50% of the freshman class that uh, chose to return. So we're excited about that. We're excited to have our ninth graders back. Um, the the, the uh, week went pretty well. Um, I'll be speaking with Mr. Henderson and his leadership team. Um, I'm actually going to see them uh, this morning after uh, after this, sh- this show um, to find out, you know, how the how yesterday went. Um, and then next week, we are going to be returning our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders to a hybrid model as well. So we're excited that uh, this is the week that we're starting to bring back um, our high school students beyond our career center students. So I know the teachers were really excited for the students to come back. Absolutely. And I know students were excited and the, and the parents and families were very excited for them to come back as well. Define hybrid for our audience. So the hybrid, a hybrid model just means a combination of virtual uh, distance learning and in-person learning. So Mondays are uh, virtual days. Uh, if your last name begins with the letter A through L, then you are in person on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if your last name begins with the letters M through Z, then your in-person days are Wednesday and Friday. And then those alternate days, they're virtual. And when we use the word virtual, um, we can uh, boil that down to internet computer. Correct. Okay. Yes. So that everybody knows what that means. The week that was, Mr. Bourget, from your perspective. Uh, it was a very successful week. Uh, as Dr. McGee said, our ninth graders are back, and uh, we're, we're celebrating that fact because uh, it's been too long since uh, our high school students have been in class. And next week is going to be even more, even more incredible because we're bringing in our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. So we'll, be, we'll have a full complement of students on the hybrid model that Dr. McGee just talked about. So it's, it was a good week. Uh, there were no crises. Uh, we didn't have to shut down any schools. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the Portia Citizens Campus, I think, opened up. They returned today. They returned today uh, because we had a behavioral interventionist that had contacted uh, several teachers, and, of course, they, they were uh, contacted students, so we had to shut down uh, the Pothier uh, Citizens Campus for two weeks. But they're, they're back now, so uh, hopefully, keep our fingers crossed, we won't have to do that again. I, I, I'm hoping daily. Um, you know, we do have classes here and there throughout the district that we do have to close because... Um, you know, we have either a, a student or a staff member that was a close contact or tested positive. You know, and we're doing that. And that's something that we knew that we would be doing and it's something we'll be doing, continuing to do uh, until, you know, we're ultimately back um, in full force. But, um, you know, it, it's just it's something that you have to closely monitor, which we're doing. Our nurses and our administrators are doing a terrific job of monitoring and contact tracing. And when we have to close a classroom then we close the classroom and we have enough we've had enough teachers that that because the uh, the family leave i mean the child care mm-hmm. that's done so they're back uh but we still have not received any substitutes uh from from the state that's still that's still an open question so hopefully we're not going to need them we're going to be able mm-hmm. to continue to operate on a hybrid basis uh and at least to the rest of the year we, we don't want to close the schools down again it would be nice if we didn't have to. Staying local uh, and an update, ventilation and cleaning. Who's in charge of that? And uh, is that as big of a deal uh, in late January as it was in November? 
So it is. It, it it's, is. It's very important. Um, the um, the ventilation, you know, as as you know, and and I, I don't know if our listeners know, but we did a great job um, at the beginning of the year of going through our our schools. Uh, Al Notariani, our chief operating officer, oversees has overseen and will continue to oversee that process. And Al and his department did a terrific job of going through and establishing which uh, rooms needed additional uh, circulation. We purchased HEPA filters uh, across the district. So um, we were really prepared when our students returned. And, um, you know, Al continues to do a, a great job of monitoring. And, um, you know, I think that's that's one area that I think we really were, were, were leading the state in terms of preparedness for when our, our students began the school year. Think about uh, restaurants, Roger. Uh, you go to, I don't care which restaurant you go to. When they finish, uh, you see uh, when customers leave the restaurant, uh, you have someone from the restaurant staff that cleans and, and, and does a COVID-19 cleaning, even in January. So they've been doing that since the beginning. And they still have to continue to do it. So, so do we in, in, the, in the classroom. And we're going to be doing a lot more now, now that our high school's open. And so you have to keep it clean. You have to have the, you have, to have the air circulated a certain number of times per hour. I think it's four times an hour. The air has to circulate to be safe. Um, all our HVAC systems are up to speed. They've all been updated, repaired. We're ready to go. And the facility staff and the custodial staff are cleaning. Um, and we make sure we've got enough supplies, enough PPE to make sure that uh, our students, teachers, administrators are safe. But cleaning, it's paramount. That's how we keep them open. Next two areas, busing and eating. I'll get to eating in a second. Bus, busing. Uh, you hungry, Roger? I'm always it? hungry, <laughs> no matter what time of the day. As far as busing is concerned, a listener was asking me whether, in fact, we have a full complement of school buses on, whether, in fact, we have to pay the same amount for busing. Uh, has it been renegotiated because we have uh, less uh, children going back and forth? Give us an update on busing. Well, uh, the busing, uh, you're right. There's, there's fewer students, but you still need the full complement of buses because all our schools are open. Mm-hmm. So we have students who live far enough uh, from, uh, from the school where they need to be bused. Um, and, of course, there's certain limitations of the number of students that you can put on a bus. And so it's working out. And those buses have to be cleaned, COVID clean, uh, after every run. So... Busing has not been an issue. Uh, so far, I, I think knock on wood or steel, whatever you want to knock on, our buses have shown up. Uh, they have. And, and they've done better than last year, which is incredible. And we're very happy with uh, the Durham Bus Company. Uh, but busing is an issue. We, we always got to make sure that you got enough buses. And so far, we have. And they've hit all their stops. And we haven't had any parent complaints to, to speak of. And usually, by now, we'll be inundated with them. So the busing company has done a good job. Um, and, uh, yes, we have fewer students because they've opted to be virt- to, to go virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been no issue with t- transportation. Does Durham have any trouble finding bus drivers? Um, do you know? Or, or bus, is that their issue? <laughs> that, well, it, it's... It, it's their issue, but it's our issue as well, because if they can't find them, then, then we're in a pickle as well. Um, no, we, we haven't heard any, oh. um, anything like that where they're having any, any challenges or difficulty finding drivers. Uh, t- 
today, later this afternoon, I'm actually meeting with Mr. Henderson and, and uh, members of the high school uh, leadership team and with Durham um, to talk about, as we bring our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders back, the, um, the schedule of, of transportation in the afternoon. So we want to make sure that we have that ironed out. Um, so we're going to be meeting with them to talk about um, about that. And you, all, you also uh, mentioned eating, yeah. um, food and, in the schools, which is which is important. Um, you know, because we're <laughs> even though we're we're experiencing the pandemic, we still you know uh, have to feed our students, and um, so we, we we are still providing them with the universal breakfast as right. we always have. That's just it happening in the classrooms. Um, because we don't have, we're not utilizing our cafeterias because, you know, in that situation you'd be mixing pods and that's something that we are, you know, we, we're avoiding. Um, the um, lunches would, would be the same situation. Uh, the lunches are, are being had, um, are being eaten in the, in the classrooms. At the high school, um, in, in, in order to um, provide an opportunity for obviously our students to, to have lunch and our staff to have lunch, they're 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 providing grab and goes at the end of the day for for students. Um, the high school is a little different than the than the other um, other schools in, in the district in in terms of just the sheer volume of students. We certainly cannot have them, or we're not we wouldn't be comfortable having our high school students going into the cafeteria um, having lunch. So. The high school put together a, a plan by which, um, at the end of the day, or they're they're dismissing a little little earlier than they normally would, but they're providing that grab and go lunch for the students to take to take with them if they if they choose to do that. We have a caller, so you uh, guys have earphones which have been disinfected, incidentally. Thank before, you. Before oh. you arrived, they were uh, disinfected. Um, uh, December fourth. So, uh, <laughs> all right, only kidding. <laughs> I don't know. We shouldn't joke about. Well, that's stuff better there. than the normal. Right. I hope everybody has a sense of humor. All right, let's uh, see what this uh, person has to say. Do you have a question for our uh, administrators here, so to speak? You're on. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I have a question. Shoot. Um, there's uh, still a lot of uh, fear among some teachers. I'm thinking of Chicago when they don't want to go back to the classroom. So my question is this, uh, Doctor Scott said we are still getting a lot of cases, we're still getting a certain number of deaths. So this is rather a morbid question, but it's this. Have we lost any teachers or students through the virus? Well, In other go. words, have we had any mortalities? Secretary. Uh, unfortunately, um, we, we did lose uh, a secretary uh, earlier in the fall, um, one of our, our, our secretaries at uh, Hamlet Middle School. So, you know, that was that was a really, really rough time for the district. Um, and, and so we have, unfortunately, we have lost uh, a staff member. We have not fortunately lost any students. Um, however, you know, having said that, we, we do, we have had over the course of, you know, since since the spring, we've had some some students and some staff members who, you know, experienced some some very serious side effects of of the virus. Um, but you know, to date, we've we've lost one staff member. Well, that's uh, very fortunate. I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, Pal, you're doing a good job then on uh, keeping those classrooms clean, keeping it up to snuff, so that the virus is not. Uh, getting out of hand in the school department is that correct that's that's correct um one of the things remember if we if we know of a case whether it's a teacher or a student and depends on the contacts uh th those individuals have had 
will shut down a pod, a classroom, or will shut down the entire school. Um, and obviously testing is done all the time. Uh, and it's recommended now. People are wearing their masks. Um, we're, on a, we're on a hybrid uh, schedule for most of our students, except for the very young, um, so that the exposure to schools is minimal. Most of the cases that occur are happening outside of school. Um, and so we're just, con you know, we're just very vigilant in terms of anyone coming to school at, with symptoms. So we don't allow that. So teachers know that. Administrators know that. And overall, it's, uh, we're keeping a watchful eye, <clears throat> but things have been overall kind of good, kind of healthy. Well, great. So keep up the good work. You're doing a good job. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right. We'll get back to um, questions uh, for, um, as a matter of fact, we'll get back to some of the statements that we made a little bit earlier about what uh, is being said on the national scene about remote learning. Uh, and um, we're going to do commercial right now, though. I want to remind you that this weekend, if you're looking for a pleasant dining experience, may I uh, recommend Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. They're located on Rathbun Street in Woonsocket. And yes, Anytime you want, a favorite in the uh, Northern Rhode Island region, that's for sure. Chicken family style, and uh, that is uh, all the chicken you want in the salad and the roasted potatoes. Those are Italian roasted potatoes, of course. French fries and uh, ziti served. It's uh, really quite the meal and always available on our menu. And, of course, our Italian uh, dishes uh, from uh, a veal parmesan to an eggplant parmesan to a chicken palm, they're always right there on the menu. And, um, and, and our meatballs, absolutely terrific. And we also want to emphasize how good our Sicilian pizza is. Where Savini's right there on Rathman Street, Savini's Pomodoro, Italian kitchen and bar. We'd love to see you over the weekend. All right, let's check in with Champs Liquors, and then we'll be back. Champs Liquors for Keyway, 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Champs reintroduces Flip Flop Wines, a California winery that has crafted a variety of wines that are fun, fruit-flavored with amazing taste. Listen to this. We have two bottles of Flip Flop Wine for $10, including Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Pink Moscato, Regular Moscato, Chardonnay, and Pinot Grigio. Again, two bottles for $10, mix and match. Still on sale? Tisdale Wines from California in six varieties, including a Pinot Grigio, Merlot, Cabernet, White Zinfandel, Chardonnay, and Moscato choices. And yes, again, two bottles for $10. And we continue with the best price in town on Bud and Bud Light, 30-pack, $25.50 plus tax. New hours for the convenience of customers, open daily at 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. For a great selection of beer, wine, and spirits, you can count on Champs Liquors, 481 Clinton Street. Have a question? Call 765 1800 and speak to Mike the manager. All right, before we get back to uh, talking about Woonsocket Public Schools, I want to talk to you about the Roast House. They'll be open for lunch today, uh, starting at 1130. And I was uh, just uh, checking uh, to see uh, what um, luncheon prices start at. $6.99, and there are a whole bunch of uh, items, including uh, chicken and chips. If you like um, chicken breasts that uh, are uh, deep fried uh, with a very thin batter, and uh, then uh, you get the, um, the chips and the coleslaw, it's a six ninety nine special for lunch at the Roast House in Blackstone. But we're also a great place for seafood. 
And when I talk about uh, baked haddock or the uh, nice baked seafood casserole or the baked scallops or the baked lobster casserole, and it just goes on and on. If you like seafood, you'll enjoy the seafood over at uh, the Roast House. I think my wife is going over there today for fish and chips at noontime, right? Roast House on Farm Street in Blackstone, Massachusetts, and we're open today to serve you. Let's get back to the program. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Okay, panel, uh, we're ready to go. The panel is Dr. Patrick McGee, Superintendent, Schools, Woonsocket School District, and the Chairman of the School Committee, Mr. Uh, Paul Bourget. The question, uh, what was happening is, while you guys were sitting out in the uh, room, uh, we run a network newscast. And the network newscast uh, plays over uh, 500 radio stations across the country, and they all heard the same thing in in all markets, whether it was uh, Seattle or Dallas or in the Providence area, remote mer- uh, learning, a massive failure. I think the way I want to pose this question to you guys, though, is that we've had remote learning. And I guess um, uh, my question is, if the disease ends by June and it's all disappeared and we're ready to go in September, does remote learning have a place at all? With all the experience that we've had, or is it just back to the old-fashioned days of uh, of school teacher and classroom students in the building? We're going to begin with the superintendent, sir. So I think so. A couple of parts to that, I think. So you know, when you look at things like snow days, right? We uh, the snow days will will, as far as I'm concerned, will no longer be. Um, because we can, you know, if, if there's a snow day, then it's going to be a remote learning day. That's number one. Number two, I think that there is a, there's a, there's a limited place for virtual learning moving forward. And I think that if you're looking at our secondary schools, you know, our, specifically our high school and our, and our career center, there could be courses that we offer that are virtual for students who... Um, learn well virtually. I think it's an an added opportunity for our students. I don't see straight virtual learning being an option for our elementary students um, or even our middle school students. However, at the high school, I think you can um, offer and provide certain courses for students. I'm not saying an entire schedule necessarily, but certain courses that students could take virtually. And I think it would be a benefit to those to, to students because there are some students who, who do very well, um, are self-motivated, um, you know, are, are able to um, push themselves beyond, you know, the, the, the curriculum. So I think in those instances, I think, yes. There, there is a future for virtual learning. Patrick, did you learn this uh, before COVID-19 or is it the experience that uh, has uh, solidified your thinking that uh, um, remote learning does uh, have a, a place in the curriculum? So prior to COVID, you know, we, we do offer classes at Woonsocket High School um, that are we call it an e-learning so it's it's similar to a virtual the students are in school however and they're actually taking the these 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 courses and they're typically foreign language type courses where you know 
typically we wouldn't be able to offer this a particular class because of staffing uh, concerns or, or issues. Um, however, since COVID has has arrived and we're experiencing what it is to to for students to learn virtually and for teachers to teach virtually, I do think that there are certain students based on what we've seen thus far who could benefit from a virtual platform moving forward. Mr. Chairman, massive uh, failure, remote learning. It's Truth or false? Baloney. Baloney. We'll say crap like your, your game during the day. Factor crap. And it's pronounced triskaidekaphobia, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. The fear of 13? Yes. Thank you. Um, there's no... There's no way that it's a massive failure because we know there are parents who have called us. I know folks who have kids who did who are doing much better remotely. And those are the kinds of students that were, uh, you know, eager beavers. Uh, they're always ahead of the curve. Uh, they feel that maybe in a classroom uh, uh, setting that they're slowed down. They work very well by themselves. They, they, they learn more. Uh, they're, they're, they're eager to learn. They, they, they grab all the, the materials they can. And the remote setting for them uh, is, is a bonus. Um, my grandson is a good example. He was an okay student when he was going to school, but since he's going remotely, he's, he's an A student, and he loves it. So he can set up his own schedule. There's no time wasted. He doesn't have to get on a bus, all those things. So there are students that are really thriving with, with uh, the, the, the virtual learning, and others are struggling. Uh, the parents are struggling. The, the kids are struggling. And that's why we have uh, teachers dedicated to assist parents and, and assist and assist the students. And let's remember, in, in, Rhode, Island, in Rhode Island, we've got 3,000 homeschoolers. So these, these people are not even going to school. They're going to school in some kind of variation at home. That's one. And we have about 60% of our students, uh, families, who have opted to be virtual. So, and they haven't come back. Uh, so obviously they're thriving and they're not complaining. So the, the, the virtual learning, um, it depend, I would say, is successful depending on the situation you have at home. Your parents' involvement is very important. If parents are involved, the students are going to be are doing better. And, and also the student. You may have a student that just takes to the computer, takes to the uh, Chromebook, duck to water, and uh, is thriving. So those that need help, we give it to them. And those that are successful, we applaud them. We're going to come at this question from another angle and uh, see if um, see if that helps me uh, understand it. Um, well, so we have September of 2021 coming up. Uh, we're in 2021. But let's go to September of 2022. And uh, school is ready to begin. COVID has, has gone. Uh, we are back to normal living. Will the curriculum, as a superintendent, will you be saying, let's, uh, let's think about either uh, the school year 2022 or 2023 offering an option of uh, either going to school with uh, remote learning, virtual, or we're going to go right back to uh, the the way it was. In other words, could it be an option? Could, could both things be happening at the same time and it's just part of your curriculum? That is a very interesting question. And I'll be honest with you, it, it isn't something that I've, I've pondered yet. Um, I'm, I'm thinking more of offering virtual courses, um, you know, one-offs here, here and there to students. Um, 
it could be a situation where you know we're we're offering these courses after hours to our to our students. So you know we might have faculty that are um, that are that are teaching these particular courses after hours. Maybe um, I, I really haven't given it a lot of thought in terms of you know will we offer to our secondary students. You can go completely virtual, um, or you can go um, a hybrid, which which is you know what we're offering now. So, so it certainly is something that you know over the next eight um, eight to ten months we'll we'll start thinking about, we'll start considering. Um, I don't really have an answer, however, right now to say yes for sure we'll we'll be offering fully virtual, or we, or we won't be offering fully virtual. I think we you know we we we're still like. Like other other communities, like like other states, you know, other districts, we're in the process as, as well of collecting our data, our, our internal data, to so see Mr. how successful it's been. So, Mr. Chairman, your um, your objective is to deliver the best possible education to the students of the city of Woonsocket. Yes, I am. How do, how do you uh, answer that uh, that question? Do you see that as an option? Of it's uh, an open it's an open item. I mm-hmm. don't think it's closed. I think that's something that has to be looked at. Uh, we're going to be used to uh, virtual learning. Obviously, we're going to be very good at it, and so will, the, so will our families uh, at all. So that, that is something that will have to be contemplated and where, where, the, where the benefits are. There may be some families, instead of going homeschooling, where they take control over their, uh, their, their children's curricula, they may opt out to virtual learning where it's the district who provides the curriculum. So that, that, may, that may occur. But it, obviously, there's a lot of planning, and there's going to be, a, again, the availability of teachers, the availability of everything. But I, I'm not shutting the door to that idea. I think it's something that has to be contemplated. The superintendent and his administrators will think it through. And I, I, I bet you there's going to be a, a, a place for that for certain students. Well, certainly COVID-19 uh, has... Uh it's been a it's been a tragedy, but it certainly made us look at a whole bunch of ways of doing things. Whether it's you're in the radio business or whether you're uh, responsible for teaching uh, children in a public school system, a uh, whole different way of looking at things for the future. Look at us after it's gone. Look at us Zoom meetings, Google meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to you you know you don't have to walk outside your door, but you can get more attendance. We're seeing that in every single organization I belong to. You're talking about Rotary. Uh, I'm club? talking Rotary. Yeah, We're having yeah. a lot of people that show up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, right. Uh, so the way that local club does business these days by Zoom. All right, time to uh, to wrap it up. I'm going to ask you um, uh, for those who just uh, tuned in. I'm going to ask the superintendent to. Uh, tell us what the um, month of February is going to look like in Woonsocket Public Schools the best he can <laughs> based on the data he has available on this Friday morning. You're on, I'm looking into the crystal ball right now, Roger. Um, so we are, as I said earlier, next week we are returning our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders at Woonsocket High School to a hybrid model. Uh, sports has started, our, our winter sports, our, our boys and girls uh, basketball teams and our boys and girls uh, indoor track teams have started their seasons, so we're very excited about that. Uh, Nancy Giordano, our athletic director, has been um, communicating with me regularly, you know, and letting me know how that's going. So we're really excited that there's some sense of normalcy coming back to, especially the high school. Um, and you know, we're just going to continue to monitor school by school, classroom by classroom, and. 
um, you know, hopefully we, um, you know, will be able to keep our, our schools and our classrooms open for as long as possible. And, you know, we're going to continue to, um, you know, do what's, what's best in terms of health and safety for all of our students and our staff. Mr. Chairman, notice I didn't ask any questions about the vaccine. And the reason I didn't is because yesterday I sat for an hour and listened to uh, the director of the Department of Health. Yes. Talk about the vaccine, and she doesn't know what the hell's going on, how to distribute it, who to distribute it to. Uh, it's uh, it's actually, um, the state has not figured it out. So how can you answer that question for us? You can't. I can't. No. I know you were meeting uh, last week when we got together. I know you were meeting with officials to talk about yes. vaccine plans. Uh Yes. And I know the lieutenant governor would like to see teachers vaccinated, but uh, looks like that's uh, been put on hold. So um, not much to say on that topic, right? Unfortunately, there there isn't really anything else to report out. Um, you know, I don't naturally know. would. I, I don't know. I we don't know. Yeah, I don't think, feel bad. I think no. you know, if 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 we want students to return to school, then mm -hmm. teachers and staff need to be vaccinated. And that, an, another thing is that if you're 75 years old in the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> You and what happens is that is the 65, 75-year-old population most vulnerable. They still don't know where to get a vaccine right now. And from what I hear, they're going to be told on the Internet. And many of those, many of us, many of those folks don't have computers. Right. Or, or fancy phones. Exactly. Uh, any last words, uh, gentlemen? Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you. But uh, and you're, you're No. Well, we keep trucking on. Uh, this month, uh, we're, we're starting to gear up. Uh, internally um, mm -hmm. uh, to prepare us, the negotiation team, to address the, uh, the teacher contracts and the 1137 union contracts. So that's going to be something that's going to, the drums will be pounding very shortly. And by the end of the month, we should be ready to uh, start meeting with the union, which we hope to that that will take place in early March. Okay. Hey, thank you, Patrick McGee, Superintendent of the Schools, Paul Berger, School Committee Chair, for joining us on the Upfront Program. Thank, thank you for welcome. having us today, Roger. My pleasure, thank you, Roger. And listeners, have a good day. Okay, good day to you, too. And uh, welcome to Ciro's of Woonsocket. Open uh, today at noontime for uh, for lunch. And, of course, uh, yeah, can you have fish and chips at Ciro's? Absolutely um, not a problem. And a lot of other great things on our menu, too. So if uh, you're looking for a pleasant dining experience in the downtown district, you're going to find it at uh, Ciro's of Woonsocket. Ciro's Tavern. And uh, we've got plenty of uh, free and easy parking right there. And an outstanding menu, including some nice uh, nice pizza selections, too. So uh, come on in to either, um, uh, the name of the place is Ciro's. Gina, tell us, uh, tell us about it. Hi, this is Gina Savini, inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's. Perfect for any event. Perfect for any event in the downtown district. So we certainly hope that uh, you'll enjoy... Uh, Ciro's experience at noontime, uh, maybe 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, maybe uh, for dinner tonight. And uh, we encourage reservations uh, by uh, calling them up at uh, Ciro's. All right. And look, uh, looking at the schedule here, we're uh, going to tell you about Vern Rainville, the uh, public adjuster for insurance. And then we'll close out the upfront program, do a little news, and then we'll uh, do the upfront program on Monday with Dick Bouchard, who will be filling in. Are you